God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and for the love that you have for us and for uh, family and for friends and for our community and for your church and that this church is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, his blood and his righteousness. Lord, as we dig into your word uh, this morning, I pray that you're just going to speak to our hearts wherever we are, wherever we've come from this morning into this building. We are all one. Lord, we know that the cross levels that playing field and there's none more righteous, none more holy. Even our best is filthy rags before you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to see if this will control my slideshow. All right, let's get right into it. First John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, say this. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. It's First John. By the time we've entered into chapter 2 of this letter... We're beginning to see John is going to start to unpack his theology, unpack his his doctrine. He's going to kind of try to expand it a little bit. And up until this point, his main points have been very simple. That Jesus Christ was a real person, is a real person. That because because he has seen him and touched him and walked with him and, and wrestled with everything that he said... And not only is he a real person, but through him, we have fellowship with God. We can be in relationship with God. And it's the, it's the work of Christ on the cross that allows us to enter into that relationship with the Father. We looked at it last week and what John was writing He said, even as we walk with Christ, as we walk in this journey of faith, as we make mistakes, as we fall short, we'll call it sin. We're not left in this place of of hopelessness. Because Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He presents us to the Father. And it's the work of the cross that that, that covers our sin. He will stand before God. He stands before him and says, no, Father, no. That sin, that stumble, that fall, that idolatry, I I covered that on the cross. I got that. I got that. And we stand forgiven. We stand right in front of the Father. We said the cross is 100% sufficient. Past, present, and future. All of our sin, no matter how terrible it may seem. Also said this. If every single person in the world, at the exact same moment, repented and turned to Christ. Every single person, the billions of people, in the same moment, turned to Christ. The cross is still sufficient. 
That's the power of what Jesus has done for us. And so this is the groundwork that, that John is, is kind of laying out. And he's going to build everything off of these two very important yet simple truths. And, and he's going to continue to, to build, continue to try to, um, to expand on it. But he's always going to build on this foundation. And I believe that's why God has kept us in almost the first chapter for so many weeks. The way I prepare for sermons... I, I, I don't have a, a long-range thought. I mean, it takes, me, it takes me weeks just to figure out what book I'm going to, to preach on. And, and I want to make sure I get it right. And, and so I kind of hem back and forth. But, but when I sit down to write, I, I do the study, I do the reading, and I sit down to write. I have no agenda on how far to go. And I just write. And when I fill up eight pages, I'm done. <laughs> That's just kind of the way it is. And it might sound very simple, but I feel it's led by the Spirit. And we've spent a lot of time building this, this foundation, the foundation that it's Christ and Christ alone. It's the cross and the cross alone. And that's what brings us into that right relationship with the Father. Now, what John is going to do, he's going to connect this, this theology, this foundation he's built. He's going to connect it to our life. He's going to connect it to, to living and we always have to keep that in mind. We always have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. That's, that theology and life, doctrine and life, they, they have to come together. Because our journey of faith, our journey with Christ is about living. It's about, it's about living. It's about relationships that are, that are all around us. It's about how we relate to everything. That's, that's what this faith journey is about. It's not just some intellectual or philosophical pursuits of, of thoughts and ideas. And, and, you know, we can just have these, these high-level conversations. I mean, those are fun to have. But it, but it all comes down to this life and walking in it. Living, breathing, talking, and, and, and being joyful, and, and, and mourning, and being sad. You know, I, I can't help but to keep coming back to... Uh, the experience that we had here last week, all, all in the same service, all in the, as we gathered as a community, we, we rejoiced with Mark and Liz at the, at the birth of their first, their first grandchild, Autumn Rose. And, and, we, and we brought Neil and Kim up here and we prayerfully anticipated the birth of their child in a few weeks. And we've been praying for Eileen, who has gone through, through brain surgery. And that same week, we mourned with Sherry and Rich as her mom was called home to the Lord. See, that's, that's life. That's life in the context of community. Yes, we, we experience these things as individuals, but we also came together as a community. And this is all part of our relationship with God. This is what faith is about. This is what our, our reconciliation with the Father is about. This is what the cross is about, that it brings us to this place together. And so John, as he writes these words in this letter, he's concerned about the people that he's writing to. And what he's concerned about is he knows that there are things that also take place in this life. Sometimes they're one and the same things that we experience in different ways. But there are things that take place in this life that interrupt our fellowship, interrupt our relationship with the Father. And he knows what they are and he wants to address them. And he wants to unpack them and he wants to say, don't get caught up in these things. Be careful. Be on your guard. There's a lot at stake. 
And so as he, as he writes this, he, he uses one of his, his favorite words as, as a, a writer of the scripture. And we see this all through the writings, especially in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, they, they have favorite words they use. And they have favorite ideas they like to, they like to talk about. And, and so Paul has them, and Peter has them, and John has them. And, and what we see John using is one of his favorite, one of John's favorite words is also to abide. But here we see it's, it's no, the word no. By this we know that we have come to know him, to know. By this we know that we are in him. He also throws abide in there because he likes that one too. To know is a, one, of, one of John's, he, he loves this idea of knowing God. And it's the beauty of, I think it's the beauty of the inspiration of the sacred scriptures that God just doesn't mechanically press on somebody you have to write this but he uses their personalities to come through god uses the personalities of the people that he has inspired to reveal himself to us and what he's communicating here we're just not to know about the gospel we're just not to know about it but but he wants us to know how to live it out what it, what it kind of looks like every day. Theology and doctrine is, is, is a good thing. But if it's separate from life, all it is is a good read. And unless the two of them come together, they, they have to come together. They have to come together and intermingle. And so John is putting the rubber to the road again. He's a very practical kind of guy. And he's going to bring us into the application of what he's been teaching. We see it all the time with Paul, though, though Paul writes the same way, he does it much more organized. Paul's letters will be, he kind of outlines his theology in the front half, and then he puts the application uh, on the back side of it, where John almost interweaves it um, simultaneously. But, but no matter how we get there, we have to know that, in, that, that theology and doctrine have to live together so that we are able to live with Christ. Because it has to go beyond an intellectual pursuit. And so he says, by this we know. See, we know something. He's saying that, that, that we should know something. We should be sure of something. We know that we, we know that we know. Are you following me? Keep up, okay? So, so, so as Jesus followers, we should be sure of something. As Jesus followers, we should know what we know. You still following me? Excellent. You had your Wheaties. Great. Betsy ate too. She's full of the spirit. She got cookies. If anybody's hungry, you'd have a sugar fix. I digress. He wants to make sure that in this entire letter that we're sure. That we have an assurance. That we're confident of certain things. In fact, by the end of this letter in chapter 5, he'll write that. He'll say, I write this to you so that you may know have eternal life he wants to be sure he wants us to be sure and it's important for us to be sure because without assurance i would say that at best we live a half-hearted life for christ at best and there are people that, that i meet constantly christian men and women who who wrestle with this idea of, of being able to be sure of anything in their walk. And I'll tell you, it, it, makes, me, it makes me sad. It, it really does because 
our life, this life that we live, man, there's, it's, it's, it comes with all of, its, all of these uncertainties already built right into it. But there is one thing that we can be sure of, and that is the gospel. We don't have to doubt it in any way. I would say it's one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. Yes, we, we, you know, salvation, that's good, and forgiveness, and, and sanctification. But, but it's, it's the assurance of those things. That it's the gift. And we can walk in that. I find people, they, 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 they lack that certainty because it's almost like a false humility. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, God is holy and he's righteous and he's good. And in him there, there, is, no, there is no darkness. And, and well, I'm not, I'm not righteous and, and, and I'm not holy. And so how can this, how can, how can I really be, how can I really be sure and see, the first half of that statement is very true. God is holy and he's righteous. And there is no darkness in him. But you see, the gospel isn't about us. It's always been about him and his cross and his Christ and his forgiveness and his grace. And so if we base it upon us, yeah, we got nothing. But it's always been about him. And we can be and have and possess the righteousness of Christ. It's not ours, it's his. He's given it to us. I see some who can't be certain of this assurance. Because they've grown up in just this terrible way. I don't think they can ever be loved. That's the saddest of them all. They don't think they can ever be forgiven. They don't think they measure up. None of us measure up, but it's the grace of Christ that, raise, that raises us up. It's his mercy that raises us up. And then I see, I see other people who say that they're sure, but the, they're the Eeyore Christians, you know? Yeah. That's going to be my first book, Eeyore Christian. But you know, there's kind of a bummer to be around, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, thanks for noticing me. And there's, there's, there's just no joy. And, they, and, they, and it seems like the, the things that they say, they believe, there's a disconnect in how they live that. It doesn't look like it plays out anywhere. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you are sure, certain, that you have been reconciled back to the Father by the cross of Jesus Christ. That is awesomely amazing news. That is, that is exciting, joy-filled, hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo news. And you should be excited about that. <laughs> but then some people look at some Christians... And they say, for real? You keep that. I'll stay uncertain. <laughs> I'm much more happier. See, it's important that we live what we proclaim. It's important that we, we live the life that God has called us to. You know why? Because people watch us. They notice us. And, and this is not about you being 
perfect. This is not about you behaving all like you've arrived. This is just about you being authentic. Authentic in who we are. Authentic in our struggles and in, in, in our joy. Now, let me say this about that. That's one of my favorite phrases. If I was doing scripture, I'd be like, let me say this about that. All my, like, the, the next, I, anyway. So, so let, me, let me say this about that. I love that sign. Don't be fresh. You don't want to wear it out. We cannot prove a biblical truth by watching someone's behavior. Now, now let me tell you what I mean by that. If the Bible says this, and that person lives like that, well, then the Bible must not be true. We cannot prove biblical truths by someone else's behavior. Because it's not the Bible that's not true, it's that person that's not true. See, unfortunately, we Christians at time, we, we make terrible examples of biblical truths. And that's why every day, I thank God for grace and mercy. Because it's not that we're perfect, we've just been redeemed. So, as far as being sure, this idea of certainty, assurance, the New Testament teaches it all over the place. Like over and over again, we, we see this and it lays out, first it lays out this very real description of the world in which we live in. Like the world is a broken place and, and people are going to hate us because we're Jesus followers and, and we're going to have troubles and there's rumors of wars and there's wars and there's all these kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things happening in the world. And the, the, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat any of it. It kind of lays it right out there, but it tells us that we can be sure. Look at what Paul would write in Romans for I am convinced, I am convinced, there's a certainty in that word. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced. Look at Second Timothy. For this reason... I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you hear the certainty, the, the, the assurance in these words? We can know for sure. We can be certain about the truths, about the gospel. We should know. Oh, what should we know? Well, let's go back to John. What can we be sure about? Well, we could be sure that we know him. That we know Christ. That we know Jesus. And this is not about knowing things about him. This is not knowing um, the stories. This is not being able to do the whole flannel graph thing in Sunday school. This is not just knowing what he taught. This is knowing him in a very personal way, a very intimate way. It's not, John's been telling us about Jesus and all these things about him, who he is and what he's done for us. But this goes way beyond that. This is to know. This is to know him personally. I guess the question we have to ask ourselves, do you know him are you sure that you know him? I mean, if you come to church 
I'm sure you know about him, but do you know him? It, it's, it's this personal, direct thing. It's like knowing your parents or knowing your children or knowing very close friends or knowing your brothers and your sisters. Do you know him? John says that we should know that we know Jesus. And, and I think, I believe what's inferred here is not just to know Jesus, but to know the Father. To know the Father also. I mean, do you know God? Do you know that he's there for you? Do you know that he loves you? And do you love him back? Do you know? When you pray, do you know that he hears you? Do you know? Or, or is your prayer life, like you're just, you're just trying to, you throw stuff at the wall and you hope that something sticks. That's not knowing. That's not being certain. Are you fearful that, that he doesn't even hear you anyway? Are you fearful that the Father is just a figment of your hallucination? Do you know Christ? Do you know the Father? And what else we can know, what John wants us to know, we know that we know that we are in him. By this we know that we are in him. We know him and we know that we are in him. This, this mystical relationship thing that takes place, this union with Christ beyond our full understanding, but yet we can be sure of it. Do we know that we are in him? John 15 in the gospel of John chapter 15 talks about the vine and the branches. There's this, there's this connection with the vine and the branches that the branches get their, their sustenance, their life from the vine. Do you know that you are in Christ that way, that as, that as the branches get broken off from the vine, they wither and they die. Do you rely on Christ that much? Do you know that, that you are in him, that he is in us, and that we possess his life? Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that we know? You know, we're not a people or just a community that, uh, that, that just kind of wanders through opinions uh, well let me just <laughs> christians are most opinionated people i've ever met but just not we're not just about that this is not just about being knowledgeable in, in theological words and terms like forgiveness sanctification reconciliation propitiation i don't even know if i said that right but that's a really cool one and and as a pastor they require me to say fornication at least once a year we don't really know what that means but i'm just going to throw it out there anyway it's not just about knowing those big theological ideas. What we know is there is a quality of life that we can possess because of Jesus Christ. What we know is that there is a quality of life that we do possess because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that you know? Do you know for sure that you know him? And that you're in him. It's, it's a great question to ask yourself. It's a great question to wrestle with. And so as we begin to ask these questions, well, well how, do we, how do we answer them? How do, how do we answer these questions? It's another great question. And I think before, we, 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 have, to, we have to go back to why John wrote this letter to the church. We have to understand that. He wrote this letter because there were many false teachings that started to rise up within, within the church. And there were some people that claimed that they had a, 
They had a special type of mystical uh, spiritual experience. And in this mystical uh, spiritual experience, they were uh, given special knowledge. They were giving special, given special insights about God and about Jesus. And, and, and it was wrong. But this is what they believed. And this is what John is writing to. And so these people, they, 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 they traveled somewhere, they, they, something, they went into some type of mystical thing, and they were revealed these truths about God, and they, and they started to teach these extra truths, which John said, they're not truth at all. This is a lie. This is not the gospel. And so he's going to tell us, he told them, that you have to test those experiences. You have to test them. Because all spiritual experiences may not be true. They may not be of God. And we have to be careful. Prove the spirits. Test the spirits. There are false prophets. And he's going to write about this. He's going to lay all this out in chapter 4. And, and we're going to cover this in a lot more detail when we get there. But, but, but we have to understand that we are called not to just take things at face value. Scriptures tell us that even the devil can appear as an angel of light. How much should we test our spiritual experience? Well, that's great talk. Well, how do we test it? How do we come to that? How, how, what, what's the criteria? What's the bar? How, how do we test it? You're all so, you're good. You're filled with good questions today. I like this. I like the give and take. This is good. John's going to give us the, the, the first test. I think of many. And it's not found in some mystical experience. It's not found, uh, it's not something that's only been had by a few people. You see, in the church, very few people had this experience that these other people had. And so they, begin to, they began to doubt that they, they, they even knew Jesus. Well, why don't we know this? Why haven't we had this? Well, obviously there must be something wrong with us. Maybe, maybe we're just following the wrong Jesus. Maybe we have to follow this, this new doctrine, this new idea. And they felt like they were missing something. But John will say, no, no, no. See, the first test to knowing that you know, the first test to knowing that you know is for you, for us, to examine how we are living our life. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Hmm. That's kind of scary when you just kind of take it out of the context of the whole scripture. Take it out of the context of the letter. But the reality of it is, knowing Christ doesn't come, it doesn't come from, uh, it's not based in visions or feelings or some amazing answers to some amazing prayers. I mean, those things, those things take place and, 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 they're, and I thank God that they're part of our experience and, and that they happen. But the first test of whether or not we know him and that we are in him is much more grounded in our own reality. It's more grounded in, in today, in the here, in now. We know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean, because this is very important. This does not mean that you need to go home today. And you need to put on your refrigerator a list of do's and don'ts. 
and should-haves and shoulds. And this is not about you coming home at the end of the day with your little pen and trying to check off as many things as you can. And hopefully if you can get like 51% done, you finally reach the point, you know him, you're in him. See, that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Following, well, see, we have to, the, the, the danger with texts like this is that people pull them out of the scripture. It's called proof texting. And they make it fit into whatever they want to teach. But we have to, we have to stay true to the, the full counsel of the Bible and what it teaches. And so what, what, what this means is, okay, so following rules is just a very, it's, it's very mechanical and very external. I drive the speed limits, not because in my heart I want to drive the speed limits. I drive the speed limit because in my wallet I don't want things to get lighter in there. I do not pass that older woman or that older man who is driving eight miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. And there's a yellow line, not because I am so grateful that now I can look around and see the beauty of God's creation. It's not in my heart. In fact, I'm most of the time white knuckled saying, you should not be driving. But I will not pass that woman because I don't want the tickets. No, no. I don't want to endanger the other traffic, the people coming on the other side. I'm not that selfish. But making Christ a priority. You see, priority is about the posture of my heart. Is, is, is the question comes down to this. Are we desiring Jesus in our lives? See, that's internal. That's an interior posture of our hearts. Are we desiring that beyond all of the other things? Following the rules can be easy. You might not like it, but you do it anyway. But following Christ should be the desire of our hearts. Deep down, do we want to please the Lord? Do we want to walk as he walked? Do we want to love as he loved? Are you, are you continually allowing the, the, the light of the Holy Spirit to enter into your very soul, illuminate all that darkness, and start to clean it out so that you can be, you can be healed, so that you can have wholeness? See, that's what I believe it means, that we would keep his commandments, that we would desire to walk as he walked. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The Bible uses this idea of, of walk, walking in many different places. And, and it uses it to, um, a, as a description of, of, of how to live. Of how to live a life that's being lived. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham was called by God to walk before him. Jesus tells us that if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness. Enoch lived with God. Noah lived with God. Abraham was called to live before God. Jesus says that if we follow him, we will not live in darkness. Do you see the, the, the reference that we are to live as Jesus lived? 
We're called to live as Jesus lived. Now we can read the gospels and learn the life of Christ. And I want to encourage you now that we are in week two of Lent. We're on a collision course with the cross. We're on a collision course with the resurrection. But as we, as we go through this time of preparing our hearts and souls, which I hope that you're doing, read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Learn about Christ. But I want to put a little twist on it. Before you open your Bible, I'd ask that you would pray to the Holy Spirit that he would illuminate who Jesus is. He will be, he, he will honor that prayer. And then as he illuminates, as you read, you are going to see beyond just the activities, beyond just the things and the journeys and the boat rides and the 5,000 people and the feed and the fish and, and all of those things. You will see beyond those things and you will see deeper into who Jesus is. You will see into the very heart of Christ. And when you get into his heart, you will see that he was humble and he was gentle and he loved God and he loved people and he was meek. These are, these are the heart of Christ. You see, those things go way beyond behavior. Those things are, those things shape our behaviors because they come from the inside. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. That's the heart of Christ. If you want to, if you say you abide in him, then walk as he walked with humility and gentleness, with the love of God, with the love for other people. You know, the world kind of looks at this humility thing and, and gentleness uh, as, as almost being weak. And no one really wants to be weak. But church, we're called to walk as Christ walked. We're called to walk as Jesus walked. His desire, his desire was to do the will of God and, and not to please people. Walk as Jesus walked. He, he mourned over the sin of the world. Walk as Jesus walked. And I would add to that, that we would mourn over the sin that's in our life, that we would feel the weight of it. We're walking with Christ if we feel the weight of our own sin. Jesus loved God. He loved people. Walk as Jesus walked. We can test ourselves and we can be sure that we know what we know. Is it our desire to be like Christ? Is that our heart's desire? If it is, walk as he walked. If you possess the light of Christ, if you possess the life of of Christ, it will show itself. It will show itself. If it doesn't show itself in your life, then I'm going to let you wrestle with that question. Walk as he walked.
and you can have the assurance, you can know without a doubt that you know him, that you're in him, that you abide with him, that you have received the grace and the glory of the cross, that you've been forgiven. If we claim to live in him, we must walk like him. Lord, thank you for your word that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that we could be sure, we could be sure of who we are in you, Lord. And I pray that you would constantly remind us of that truth. We stand before you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, before you guys go, somebody has gracefully donated, Peggy and Kurt, uh, these are who am I cards, who am I in Christ, and these are the truths of who you are in Christ. There on the back table, we have plenty. Take one, throw it in your Bible, but read it, meditate on it. This card has the freedom of who you are in Christ. Simple truths. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.